the opinions expressed on the Custody Queen Show are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for personal, professional legal advice. The persons discussed are fictional and not based on actual clients. Hi, I'm Kristen Holstrom. And I'm Sam McBride, and we are the Custody Queens. We have a new show that we couldn't be more excited about. If you're going through a custody battle, fighting for your parental rights, or going through a horrible divorce, nothing is off limits on our new show. Thought it was love, had kids in between, you can count on us, we're the Custody Queens, yeah, you can count on us, we're the Custody Queens. Good morning, I am here with my favorite blonde, Sam, hey, hey girl, hey girl, hey, all right, we have a great show for you guys today. We are the Custody Queens, and you know that because you're listening, and we're here every Saturday morning for your listening pleasure. But today, we have a very important topic, and it's called it's domestic violence, and it's such a heavy topic that a lot of people try dodging and avoiding, but it is a really, really important one, and we hope to bring some light and not make it such a taboo topic. And we have an amazing guest today. Her name is Audrey Hope. She is an award-winning trauma therapist, certified addiction therapist, relationship expert, and spiritual healer. We will be discussing domestic violence with Audrey. Yeah, we are so excited to have Audrey here today. I uh, did my you know, typical Instagram social media <laughs> stock um, and I was just so impressed at what I saw. Audrey's been in the industry for over two decades and really knows her stuff. And we are so, so happy to have you here today. I am so happy to be here because the world really needs healing inside and out. So it does. It it's does. an honor to be here. You guys are doing great work. Well, thank you. <laughs> so before we get into the kind of topic that Kristen was was speaking on earlier. We want to kind of keep it light and get to know everyone. So we're going to use our handy dandy CQ book. <laughs> Kristen's going to pull a question for Audrey and we're going to get going. These are random questions. And you guys are listening. So unless you're watching us on CQ on air and you're watching our past episodes, you're not seeing this beautiful pink magenta book that is littered with questions for us. So I just wanted to let you guys know exactly what I was holding in my hand. And I just randomly go to a page and bam, there's a question. So Andre, I am just going to open it up okay. and uh, I'm gonna have Sam point to a number. All right, this is question 820. Audrey, what is the most philanthropic person you know and who do they give to? Mm. You know, recently um, Amazon's wife, she uh, has taken his money and she has used it to help COVID relief. And I was really impressed by that. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad that they're doing something. Absolutely. He money. has made so much money this year. <laughs> he has. <laughs> and they actually got divorced uh, a few years back and it was probably up there in one of the wealthiest divorces in the country. Yes. So I'm glad to hear that they're actually taking some of that money and using it for such a good purpose. We have to give back. We do. I am a firm believer of that, and I think that that's been handed down to me from my parents. And my dad is actually the um, managing partner of the firm that Custody Queens is under, which is Holstrom Block and Park. And we probably donate somewhere between fifty and $100,000 a year to, to, to different uh, various charities 
That's wonderful. I know you do that on Brothers-in-Law, too. Yeah. I was very impressed with that the last time I was on the show. That's awesome. Yeah, Rob and Larry are really good like that, too. And I, I think just like you said, it's important to give back. Everybody in a successful and uh, blessed position in life should always give back, even if you're just buying the car in front of you Starbucks. You know, Absolutely. make someone's day. Absolutely. All right, Kristen, your turn. All right, so I'm going to ask you, right? Yeah, you can ask me. Okay, let's get on to you. Let me, let me find a good one here. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is a good one for Sam. If a waiter spilled a drink on you, but it was an accident, would you still tip? Yes, unequivocally. I, I don't know if anyone knows this about me, but... I'm probably too nice at restaurants, um, but especially <laughs> if it was an accident. Um, and by the way, I am the person that would get spilled on, for sure. Out of like the group of people, I'm that one. I'm that one. <laughs> yeah, I think I would actually tip double because everyone who knows me, and if you just watch our, our you know, our social media feeds, uh, I spill, I actually spilled this morning, to be honest, while I was getting my hair and makeup yeah, done. Yeah, you would really identify with that. Yeah, and then I went to change, uh, you know, into an outfit for a photo shoot uh, today as well, and I spilled, you know, Diet Coke all over my brand new jacket. So that is, that's just me. So I think that and I we all have double. bad days, you know, and <laughs> being in that moment where you do something and it's just embarrassing or, or you're having a bad day, when people around that person help feed into that it it puts you into a tailspin so I think it's a really good opportunity to actually you know be kind yeah and I've been that waiter uh in law school I was a server actually in college too I worked part-time as a server and I was carrying <laughs> a tray you know holding it with the one hand I had been doing it about a year was getting pretty good at it and I had about 15 drinks on this tray <laughs> and I tripped probably over my own two feet oh, no. and bottles of beer went flying drinks went everywhere and I it just spilled all over a whole table and I you know it's another scar on my back that has allowed me to continue on this journey but it reminds you to be patient be kind and you know what accidents happen absolutely all right Kristen I'm gonna pick one for you what is your favorite precious stone what is every girl's precious stone diamonds <laughs> Holla! what's that saying diamonds are a girl's best friend yes they are <laughs> and diamonds do make everything better I'll, I'll find pictures of uh, wedding rings, you know, that I, I just subtly send to my husband, you know, I, we're at the 12 year, so I, I think I gotta wait till like 15 to really, you know, upgrade. But I'll just subtly send text messages or, you know, have the screenshot sent to his phone. But I, I, as I've gotten older, I have come to appreciate jewelry a lot more. Yeah. And I've actually come to take care of it. And I really do that. I do believe that diamonds can make you feel better. <laughs> it, it may be a short term feeling, but they can. What do you think, Audrey? But they actually are the highest stone. So, yes, I know a lot about crystals. I work with crystals. And a, a diamond is the highest frequency. Oh, wow. Yeah, so wearing it is really good for so you. So it is really good, not just Absolutely in the head. Absolutely good. good for you. You got oh, yes. to tell that to Jeremy. Huh? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that might solve so many problems in my life if I just had a bigger diamond. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right, so now I think it's time for us to get into our segment, Divorce Wars. This is where Kristen and I listen to a fictional story about very real life issues that happen in family law, and we kind of go back and forth and, and comment on what we hear. Yeah, it's kind of like a soap opera of you know divorce wars and crazy divorce tales, and we assess different parts of the story. So hang tight and listen with us. This is Divorce Wars. 
woman who ran a battered women's shelter. I used to attend court to give moral and practical support to some of the victims. There's a lot of waiting around in family court, and so I had a chance to share my own story quite a bit. My husband had been a nightmare. I did always say, though, that I often gave as good as I got. One day, after I'd had another drunken payday beating, I waited until he was unconscious on the sofa and stole all the money so I could leave him. Before I left, I stripped the mattress sheet off our bed. I took a full-length mirror, laid it down his side of the bed, and replaced the sheet. Then I took a hammer, smashed the mirror into pieces, and straightened the sheets again so it wouldn't be visible to my pissed drunk husband when he finally fell onto what was now a bed of broken glass covered by a thin cotton sheet. Then I left and never looked back. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa is right. You stole the words out of me, uh, Audrey. That is um, rage, capital A, you know, that is rage. Right. And that is, you know, really showing um, that she's done. She's done. (laughs) Yeah, and I was totally on her side at the beginning. You know, I I think that giving, giving advice and education and providing tools to other victims of domestic violence is amazing, but I don't know if she should be providing that education and that therapy because clearly she hasn't dealt with her own internal rage and she she clearly needs some continuing help herself but audrey what do you find with what the wife did in that case what i'm what i'm hearing is that the feelings and i work a lot with women and they they have a lot of rage and they they hide it in their bodies so it comes out that way that must have been years of holding in what she was feeling. And so one of the things that has to happen with women is they have to express themselves daily and not hold it in so it becomes an atomic bomb. So what I'm really getting is the compassion here for what she was going through all those years. I know you you make a good point, but maybe she can share compassion with these other women instead of giving the advice, like sit with them and really be with them because that is a lot of pain that she's had. I agree. I mean, that is definitely, like you said, years and years and years of pain. And I think if she actually got the help that she needs, because clearly she does need some help herself. And, you know, having someone abuse you like that for years and years and years will, will do it. It takes a piece of your soul every single day. And I really hope that she gets the help she needs. But at the end of the day, violence is, should never be met with more violence. No. Right. You don't want to, you know, sort of sort of say fight fire with fire. And what I will say is I think everyone, you know, that's listening to this story can hear a level of compassion. And then at some point in the story, we, we hear a switch. And I would say that um, not even just looking at, at what she did because of her inner emotions, those things kind of, they turn everyone off to the real issue, which is what she can do to help and kind of sharing her story in a really productive way when we kind of see people not get the help that they need kind of day in and day out we see reactions like that and those can have really bad consequences in family law because in family law what we're describing in this story is her taking actions which would very very likely if not absolutely result in some sort of restraining order against her and we don't want to see that um as someone that is especially initially the victim of domestic violence, we want to see, you know, daily healing and also sharing compassion. And that's kind of the 
point of this episode is to to educate in maybe other ways so that people understand that domestic violence is a very broad range of things and it's systematic and it doesn't normally happen in an isolated event. It normally happens over a period of time and people feel very built up, resentment, resentment, and at some point if they don't have the services that they need or they're not getting the healing that they need, we see them snap. And, and that is so unfortunate to see. Yeah, and what also happens in court in that situation is the woman in that situation, she loses credibility. And so when she, when she acted out and, and started transitioning from the victim of domestic violence to the perpetrator as well, because that's what was happening at that point, you lose so much credibility mm-hmm. with, with the court, with any therapist, with any child custody evaluator that may be working on the case. And she was in a good position before and she just, there's gotta be better ways to express rage and to work through your problems, right Audrey? Yes, um, an important point about trauma, grief, and abuse is that there really is a physical component to it. There has to be a healthy release of the rage. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross had talked about, you know, the externalization process, which you really have to hit something. This you have to do in a safe environment. You got to get it out of your body. We we did that through telephone books and pipes that were, you know, and we kept hitting it until the rage came out of the body, which is really good because you can't just do talk therapy on something like this. This real, your body is alive with all this, so she needs to have that kind of like scream on a mountain, hit the pillow, get it out, because it's, like I said, years of that. It can be very dangerous. It can turn into cancer, all kinds of illness, and can do crazy things, you right. know, so. So maybe your marriage didn't go as planned, or maybe you didn't pick the best partner to have a child with. Or could it just be baby mama drama? Well, no matter what the situation is, we can help. We are the Custody Queens, and you can call us at 1-800-419-7772. That's 1-800-419-7772. So I think that something that Sam and I deal with a lot in, in our careers, and it's it's been more prevalent, I would say, in the last year because of the pandemic and isolation and being home and sometimes being stuck home with an aggressor. It, it, it's important that if you feel like you are the victim of domestic violence, it's important that you identify that you are and that that's going on. Sam, how does someone identify themselves as a victim of domestic violence? Well, I mean, I, I think it is, it's very hard to self-reflect what's going on when it's happening to you. And so a lot of times we need support systems to help identify what's going on or a pattern of conduct. But when it comes to abuse, and it's not just as defined under the family code, but abuse in general is such a, it's a broad spectrum of behaviors. It's often a pattern of behavior. And the first step is understanding what it is. And we all, you know, associate domestic violence with physical contact. And that obviously is domestic violence, but there's another huge kind of unseen silent area that we'd like to bring attention to. It's the long-term emotional abuse. It's the harassment, the stalking, the telephoning incessantly, the control of where you're going. Financial control. Financial control. It's day in, it's day out, impersonating someone, threatening to disseminate private text messages to an employer. Pictures. A huge range of um, conduct that that is defined as domestic violence and it from a family law perspective, we can't, we, we need therapists and we need people to help treat and heal. 
um, we can help protect from the point of view of getting a restraining order, but it's, you know, it's kind of a holistic approach. We need a little of everything to protect someone, but a lot of times you'll see people not understanding that they're in abusive situations until long after. They don't understand how toxic they are because it's their day to day. I think a lot of people wouldn't be in situations if this was just one isolated event. It's, it's a pattern of conduct over time. I think you bring up an amazing point. Both of you, fantastic, because the first part of healing is to have, let's say, the woman understand that she's been abused. Yeah, I, I, I had a conversation right. the other day um, with an acquaintance, and this is a perfect example of exactly what this is. The, the person I was having the conversation with, they had made a statement like, we have agreed that the abuse will not be in front of the kids. You know, I, I, I have made arrangements in the event of an emergency and have made travel plans. And I have these conversations with colleagues. I have these conversations with clients and potential clients, friends. You know, I have conversations with a lot of these people and you would be shocked. I, sometimes I actually have to reach out to an expert to help guide me through the conversations because sometimes I can't understand the pain that this person is going through. And I can file the motions and I can file the judicial counsel forms and I can come at it from the attorney's perspective. But it's taken me a long time in my career to really understand yes. that so many of these victims, they defend the aggressor. Defend. And they believe that they yes. deserve it. Exactly. That's it in a nutshell. With women, they need to know they don't deserve it. And they defend and they'll say, well, he's so good to me, but he just hits me on Friday nights. Right. You see? So it's the 90% and then the 10%. Right. You see? And I actually saw, Audrey, on your website, Back to uh, me, you know, kind of just checking you out. Um, I saw that you have a quote on there, uh, and it really spoke to me. Uh, and you quoted Einstein, um, and the quote is, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. Yes, I started with that years ago. That really hit me. Yes, you cannot go, you have to go beyond that level. And that's why I have taken this um, this abuse level to self-esteem of women and then also the society and you know that um, domestic abuse happens more um, in places where there isn't gender equality so it's a really big issue on how men treat women and and the society so I've also done I've done a show on that on the patriarch versus the matriarch well and let me yeah. add something to that right there I, I can tell you in the last year that I have had you know, 20 plus cases where the women, the woman has been the aggressor. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 you know, I deal with it regardless of gender. I mean, I think, it, I think it's just the personality trait of the person. Well, it goes unreported in men. It's a big problem. Yeah. Men in general will hide Very that true. more that. But, and it, when I, the Me Too movement, there was a lot of backlash about men who's, from it um, for that very reason, but I, I take a point of view in that I, I just think it's more prevalent among women. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at the facts as I get them, and um, and I think in, in your career, you definitely probably deal with more women coming forward. Yes, and the self-esteem issue of women is, is the root of it, and the men not speaking up. Men have no healing for this, too. They yeah. don't have any place to heal their emotions. And that's a big problem in our society. I hope it changes.
Yeah, I, I hope so too. It's it, and if there's one thing that that Sam and I want to do today with the listeners is we want to not only bring light of domestic violence and abuse, but also make it more common to talk about, to talk about with your friend, talk about with a therapist. Oftentimes when Sam and I have a very high conflict case that may involve domestic violence, uh, it it may be everything from financial control and suppression all the way up to physical abuse. My number one question to that person is, do you have a therapist? Have you seek treatment? And if not, please do because we can take care of you legally, but there is so much healing that needs to be done outside of us as attorneys that are essential to the progression of your case. And if if you isolate yourself, you will be isolated, right? You won't have anyone to reach out to. You can cut off your own support system and not listen to people that are trying to help you, but I would just encourage everyone to keep an open ear. It is so much more prevalent than anyone wants to talk about. It is it is out there. You aren't the one in a million. It happens more than you would think. Kristen and I know that reality all too well in what we do for a living. And it's just important to make sure that you are trying to not only heal, but understand that if you are going through it, you could be very helpful to somebody else's story and you can build on each other. And it's not something to be embarrassed of That's, again, why Kristen and I wanted to do this episode so much, because we often just push it under the rug. In society, no one wants to talk about it. You were just being emotional. That's not really true. One too many drinks that night. It's because of COVID. You're exaggerating, et cetera. And then you start to almost trick your own memory for, and, and you don't really even know what the past was anymore. So it's just, it's important to make sure that you're contacting people. You can contact us, absolutely, and we can help you identify, you know, the signals and the things that we see. But, um, you know, share your stories if you can. It's, it's such a bold thing. And I know that a lot of people have very private stories, but if you can do that, or you can at least point someone in our direction or the direction of someone that can help them heal, that would be a really positive first step. Yeah, I I agree, Sam. And on the flip side of that, domestic violence has such a huge consequence in a family law case. And I don't want to go too much into detail on this because we could have a whole nother show on it. But if you are someone that may be the aggressor in the relationship and you have controlling tendencies or you are someone that is reactionary, and we are all guilty of it, every one of us. Most people listening are reactionary at times. But I encourage you to take that and make that phone call to talk to a specialist or a therapist or someone that can help you because what we want is everyone to have a healthy marriage or a healthy relationship. And when that doesn't happen, we can still move forward with the divorce and the separation with two healthy human beings because guess what? you guys are likely parents and the and the ones that get the most brunt and the most damage from domestic violence are the children and that is one thing that is actually recognized in our family statutes and laws is yes. that if you are a perpetrator of domestic violence and the court finds that you are then there is a presumption that it's detrimental for a period of time for you to have custody of your children Um, Now, presumptions may be overcome, but it's something to consider. And that statute is in place for a reason, because we're recognizing the very serious effect even witnessing abuse can have on children today that are our future. Intergenerational, you know, ancestral lines that just travel. It just gets learned and passed on. So in healing, you have to cut the cords to that. 
it's very important that it's not passed on. Right. Big part of healing. And what would you, someone who's starting the healing process, what would be the initial steps you would take? What would be the advice? I think what you two have said here today is so extraordinary. Thank you so much. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm so passionate about women and healing. So I, I love what you said. Very, very good practical advice. I would say that the thing is you have to get truthful and honest. You can't bury things under the rug. That's, that's rule number one, and, you, and that takes courage. So you need courage to change your life, and you have to get honest. So that's number one. Number two is you have to be safe. Safety is always first. Even I work in an addiction, you know, you have to be safe. Right. We hear a lot in our, um, in our line of work is that it's important for the victim to have a safety plan. A safety plan. Is that something yes. you discuss yes. with your clients? Yes, you have to be, you know, it, it really needs to be planned out because if they're coming out of a very dangerous situation at home, it's real, it's really real. So yes, you make the safety plan and you put it in place and then you, there's also, you can go to a shelter, you plan out where you'll go if you, if you need help, financial, and, um, and then the therapy begins, which is a lot of uh, realization that you have been abused. Accountability. Accountability. Self-reflection. Yes, self-reflection. Yeah. Um, so, Audrey, what's the most difficult part of working with someone who's experienced domestic violence? As you said, getting them to stop defending the person. There's a lot of shame with it. And there's a thing of it's your fault. You feel it's your fault. Well, that's because I didn't cook him dinner on Friday nights, you know. And so you, there has to be an acknowledgement that it's not you, it's them. And that process, as simple as that sounds, is difficult. Yeah, yes. it's very it's hard. Very difficult. Yes. It's the self-reflection process. And, and I think that I, I may be wrong about this, but I think part of it, admitting it is then admitting to yourself that this situation was allowed to go on for a period of time until you were strong enough to leave or, or had enough education and resources to leave because some people are truly stuck. But I mean, really, I, I see that as a, a shift then towards a positive light. Yes, because if people are on, I always say on your knees, you begin to look up, you know, even addiction is sort of an opening to a new life. Mm -hmm. It's terrible to have to go through this, but it is at the point of despair where you can really change. Right. It has sometimes to get that bad. And it has to get better before it gets worse. Right. right. You have to go through the pain. You have to go through the emotions and then... You know, you look up. Yes, and change your point of view on it. Change your perspective. You know, if you change your perspective, there's healing in that too. You know, that this is a chance for a new life. And that's why spirituality is very, very important in this kind of healing. I agree. Because you're changing your mindset. Yes. It's really successful in this kind of... And undoing learned behavior of years. Yes, yes. And also tracking it. Where does it come from? How come you lost yourself? And it's really good to track it. It always is around five or six. Five, six, seven-year-old, there's something that happens where you divide against yourself and you kind of lose yourself. And it, and I call it a soul retrieval. You've got to give uh, back that place where you lost yourself. That's very interesting. Yeah. it's I call it a soul retrieval. And I have tracked it in everyone. I mean, just five, six, seven, eight. Even criticism, it's deadly. If you give a kid criticism you've taken them out I agree so you can there's always if you look back into the I agree and I I say that because 
if I think about my childhood, which was wonderful, but the moments of critique are the moments that I remember. And then I say, it's not what they did to us, because that you can heal in therapy. But the real soul point is what you do to yourself because of it, you right. see? So then you become critical of yourself. And then you doubt yourself, and that, in my opinion, is dangerous. Well, unfortunately, I think that's all the time we have for today. I think Kristen and I, and probably Audrey too, could go on for hours. But uh, it was so nice to have you again, Audrey. Thank you so much. If you want to get a hold of Kristen or I on social media, my Instagram is at Samantha McBride. Kristen's is at Custody Queen Kristen. You can also check out custodyqueensonair.com if you want to see any past episodes. And if you want information, like Kristen said, we have a lot of resources. You can go to custodyqueens.com as well. Yeah, and, there, and there's hope for healing. You know, we, we want to bring the education so that you guys can heal. And if anyone has questions or anything like that, please feel free to give us a call 1-800-419-7772. That's 1-800-419-7772. And you can reach Audrey Hope again at AudreyHope.com. And remember, let love rule. Thought it was love, had kids in between. You can count on us with The opinions expressed on the Custody Queen Show are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for personal, professional, legal advice. The persons discussed are fictional and not based on actual clients.